morning. I want to uh, first acknowledge as we dive in this morning to this, really a third week in this series, but really the second uh, challenge in what we're calling the four-week challenge to the between six and seven hundred of you who have signed up, so I want to acknowledge that, and I'm very encouraged to know that many of you are have taken the first step. I think, uh, which is reading the, spending time with God and reading the scriptures together. And many of you are doing what I'm doing, reading our reading plan. If you don't have one of your own, that was one of the things that really was at the base of that challenge to sign up. We're reading the book of Matthew and the book of Genesis together. I did it. This morning, and many of you hopefully will do that today as well. You know, but today, the next step, you know, the second challenge in this four-week challenge, as Pete said a few minutes ago, is to take uh, a step towards being in accountable community with other believers as a central part of your faith in Jesus Christ. You can only reach your spiritual potential, which is really what the four-week challenge is all about, right? Not much of what I'm saying in these four weeks is how to become a Christian. Of course, maybe that's, that's sprinkled in there, but it's, it's assuming you are a Christian. How do I maximize, grow deeper as a Christian, right? We talked about last week in that passage, you know, uh, 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 let's, let's do everything that we can to advance our walk with God. The, the, the verse talked about, you know, let, let us not be, you know, um, passive or lazy. Let us get after it, you know, in a sense. And, you, and sometimes we're confused when we hear that kind of language about the Christian life because we say, I thought the Christian life is just about receiving God's grace. Well, when it comes to the forgiveness of sin, it is. It's all of what God has done. But then to grow as a Christian, to advance as a Christian, to um, become more Christ-like in your living, well, that's a whole nother matter. That is God's grace, but we have to participate in it. We have to open our lives to it. We have to commit our lives to that process, and that's what the four-week challenge is about. And central to this challenge, the way God has designed it, if I'm going to reach my spiritual potential to see the grace of God it open itself up more and more in my life, to see the power of God be at work more and more in my life, to see the wisdom of God be more available to me in decision-making, I need other people in my life that can help me, that can encourage me, that can stimulate my thinking. What I need, what you need, is a community for your faith, which is the title of my sermon this morning from, again, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, if you have a copy, uh, verses 19 through 25, a community of faith or a community for your faith. Hebrews chapter 10, New Testament, near the end, you can follow along as I read verses 19 through 25. The writer says these words, therefore, brothers and sisters, okay, he's talking to the community, to his church, his congregation, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, here's the admonition, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. 
as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, the, the, the theme of the book of Hebrews isn't my subject. We're not going through the book of Hebrews, but we were last week and this week. Is a new and living way, right? those, are the, the, those are the words, a new and living way that has been opened up for us, for all people. He's talking to the, to the New Testament church here. By Jesus Christ, who is, if you would read this book carefully, the high priest. Okay, Now, you think that's such an unusual language. And the high priest, it's unusual language sort of for us. We don't, we don't have churches. We just have a pastor and, you know, that's it. You know, and, and, other, and, and, and pastors and people, we don't use that language. But he's using it. It's called the book. is called Hebrews. The book is generally believed to be written to a bunch of Christians like you and I. But they were all Jewish. And they were coming out of the Jewish um, system. Right, Christianity in some ways is the is the fruition. It comes out. It grows out of the Jewish system. The Old Testament was Jesus's Bible, of course, right? And the New Testament was being written after the resurrection of Jesus. So what they're saying here is, listen. He's saying, listen. He wants to encourage them, but he's saying, guys, friends, let's 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 make sure we have an understanding of what it means to draw near to God. Right? Jesus has opened up a whole new way for us to come into God. And he uses this language. Let me slow down just for a minute. Sometimes we, we read this and we, we kind of skip over it. When he talks about, you know, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, right? Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, our bodies washed. We think, what does that mean? Does it mean a lot to us? But he's talking about what's at the heart of what was, right? It talks about, you know, his curtain in his body. All of these images, the curtain, the washing, the sprinkling of blood, those were the necessary means to actually get close to God in the Old Testament. So you and I, don't, we don't realize how great we have it. In the Jewish system, thousand years old, out of which came the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. When people wanted to get close to God, even some of these folks who, were, who, had, who had just become Christians, their parents, their grandparents, all the way back, you know, to the patriarchs. When they wanted to get close to God, good night. The preparation that they needed to get in proximity to God. Some of you in this room went with me to Israel a couple years ago. You've been to the outside when you're walking up to the temple, the, what's left of it now, the, called the Western Wall. The steps are still there. Excavations in the 20th century. Have in, in front of those steps, have dug up all of these mikvahs, it's a fancy word for a bath, just to go to church in the Old Testament. The regular people like you and me, take off your shoes, take off your parts of your clothing, and you had to wash your body. And then if you were the priest, you had to wear certain clothes. And if you wanted to get into the most holy place, which was where the, where the um, what they called the, the Ark of the Covenant was, the presence of God, only one person could go into that inner room only once a year, the high priest. And even then, good night, if he didn't have the right clothes and the right washings, in the sprinkling, he's using these metaphors, what happened for us, it's a metaphor, they would have to take blood and sprinkle it. As an, as an illustration of atonement, is saying, listen, you are a sinner walking closer to the holy God. He said, listen, this elaborate system, right, which was burned in the memory and the consciousness of people about what it means to come. Jesus has blown a hole through the whole thing. We have a new and living way to draw near to God. In all of that elaborate cleansing, it now represents an inner cleansing. 
that has been accomplished for you and been accomplished for me by Jesus Christ. And now what he's saying is heaven is open for business, right? That's what he's saying. And through the encouragement of others, here's my main point. Through the encouragement of others, let us draw near. We have a growing access to God and his grace at deeper and deeper ways in our life. But don't miss the central um, you know, phrase in this passage, verse 22, verse 23, verse 24, he's making a point. Let us, he's saying, listen, right? My first point, we defeat sin together, right? That's what he's saying. Let us come into the, 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 the throne of God. We defeat sin together. Let me tell you, the greatest challenge in the Christian life is not knowing the gospel, although I want to do some of that this morning. Some of us need to know that, that Jesus Christ, as I just got done saying, he, he fulfilled the law for us. He lived a perfect life for us. He was judged for our sin. Therefore, all this elaborate work to come to God is no longer necessary because in Jesus Christ, that means through what he's done, I have access to God. That's a beautiful thing. That's the gospel. But knowing the gospel is not the great challenge of the Christian life. Maybe it's, it's important. It's first. It's appropriating the gospel into your life. That's the great challenge of the Christian life, right? It's making it real to your heart so that these truths can come and they can detonate in your heart and change your life. There's a lot of people in the world today. There's a lot of people in the church of Jesus Christ today. There's perhaps people, a lot of them in this church, who know the facts of the gospel, but they have not detonated in their heart. The grace of God has not come down to really do work. We talked about this last week and the week before, to open up your heart and apply these great truths, to release these great truths that they can actually change your life. And what he's saying is, listen, we defeat sin together. You know, one of the most popular verses in the New Testament for what we call the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a metaphor that's just saying the church, that the, the, the body, Paul uses this great metaphor, 1 Corinthians 12, and he's saying, listen, you need other people in your life to accomplish the full potential, to reach your full potential as a Christian. And I'm gonna use this metaphor, 1 Corinthians 12. Can the hand say you know, to the body, I don't need you? Can the eye say to the body, I'm going to go live my own life. I don't need the, the other parts of the body. That's a ridiculous um, kind of point. Of course not. And he said there's not a person in the room, Paul's saying to his congregation, who would say, well, listen, no one can actually see what, you know, I don't usually walk around without my shoes. So it's okay if I, if I cut a toe or two off. This is really what he's saying. I'm paraphrasing. Because no one sees them. He goes, no one would sign up for that. Because even the more, more um, modest parts of the body, Paul says, we still care about them very much, see? Because the body is a whole. And we all care about the body. And these things, so there's all these passages in the New Testament that are given to say we need one another. They call them the one another passages, you know, love one another. But the, one of the most famous passages, many of you could quote it, it's in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, um, speak the truth in love one to another. Okay? Now, when you've heard that passage before, often it's quoted to say, there are things that you need to know as a Christian, man, woman, student, whatever, that are hard things that people need to tell you. You need to speak the truth in love to one another. It says, listen, 
I have to tell you something. You know, you are selfish in this area. You are blind in this area. There's this area of sin. You're, you're kind of swerving off. You're going off in a bad direction. And you need people in your life to tell you the hard things that you don't want to hear. And that is a good application of that passage, speaking the truth to one another in love. But it's not the only application. You also need people who can tell you the good things that you have a hard time believing, right? Speaking the truth, like, uh, you know, God loves you, Dave, as his child, even when you're not successful. God loves you as his child, even when you fail, Okay, You need someone to speak the truth in love to you. God forgives you for all of your sin, Karen. Even the, not some of them, all of them. Okay, That's what we need to hear. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Do I have people in my life that can tell you, that people can say, listen to me, God is not mad at you. Okay? In fact, God has compassion toward you for what's going on in your life. Because it's very easy for me when I'm living in isolation to, to have think about my life, my failings, my imperfections, and all those, those truths are out there. I want to say they're not for me. You see? We defeat sin together. I read a book recently um, the writer Henry uh, Cloud wrote a book called How People Grow. Right? Fascinating. But he tells this story. He was leading this group of men. He's a very well-known writer. Some of you know him. And been involved in, in, in ministry for, for many years. And he was leading this group of, 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 I think they were men. And he said one of the guys, he tells a story in the book. He, everyone sort of knew. I don't know if everyone knew, but he knew it as the leader of this group. And he thinks other people knew he was struggling, had been struggling for years with a sexual addiction. That was why he was in the group, okay? He was there to get help. He wasn't there because the state told him to go there. He was there in this group looking for help. And they knew that, but he was very reluctant to talk about it. And he, but he continued to come to the group. And he said, just one day, someone asked him a question. And he said, all of a sudden, the guy just opened up. And he said, he went on, it was like, you know, for many minutes, might have been 20 minutes, and he just began to share all this stuff. And he goes, it was the most heart-wrenching story about his behaviors in his life. And he said, as I listened to him, telling the story in the book, he said, I looked around, and he said, every other person in that circle had tears in their eyes. And so it finally dawned on me, he said, hey, mention the guy's name, he said, I want you to look up. And the guy wouldn't do it. He said, I persisted. He wouldn't do it. Finally, I said, I look up. He said, he finally looked up. And he said, what he told him later is, he assumed he was going to see judgment. Instead, he saw compassion. He said, that was the day his addiction was broken. Okay? And then he said this in his book. The point here is that grace can be available to us, but we might not be available to grace. We can be around a lot of acceptance and grace, but until the hurt and guilty places of our hearts are exposed, we do not experience grace. And the gap between our head and our heart continues. Many Christians experience, have experience with the body on Sunday morning in a pew, but not in a private setting where they can share the pain and the vulnerable, and the vulnerable places of their hearts. Yet this is where the healing, take pla healing takes place. 
Fellowship on Sunday or a Bible study is great, but fellowship with the depths of the heart is what heals, right? We defeat sin together. Do you have people in your life? Do I have people in my life who can say to me, listen, God loves you. He doesn't forgive some of your sin. He forgives all of it. You are a child of God uh, even when you are not successful, right? You need someone who can help you and help me to get the access to the grace of God at deeper places in our life. Second, this passage tells us, verse 23 we hold on to hope together, right? We hold, let us. See, he's making this, he uses this phrase three times in this passage. You'd have to read the whole book. But some of the premise of this book, the book of Hebrews, written, right? It says Hebrews, Jewish people, but he's talking to Christians. The overall implication, if you read the book, is there are a bunch of people who were used to the Jewish system. It would be very, very difficult Maybe this is true for some of the percentage in the people. Some of you became Christians, let's say, out of some, some maybe some nominal uh, faith, but some of you might have come out of a very serious faith. It was a, it was a hard uh, journey for you to you know, somewhat leave the faith of your childhood or the belief system of your childhood. It was very hard for the Jews, many of them. And, 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 this, and, and what was happening was somewhere along the journey, which is true for every person in this room, things will come in to challenge your faith, challenge your beliefs, not just intellectual ideas and challenges, but life itself. Disappointment comes in. Failure comes in. You know, um, who knows what can come in to challenge your faith and challenge my faith. And, he's, and, and a lot of people... So it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a contemporary problem. We're beginning to shrink back from their faith because of the difficulties and the challenges. And he says, listen, let us, plural, hold on unswervingly. What an interesting word, right? To unswervingly. What's he talking about? It's, the word unswervingly means you need to stay steady and constant when uh, you're, you're, everything in your life, think about your life, is pulling you in a different direction. There are times in your life, times in my life, often, more often than I'd like to believe, than I, than I wish were true, where I know what, what, what is this, the, my faith. I know what are the truths of my faith. I know what my, even my convictions and my principles and my values are. I'm clear on them in almost, in many, many cases. Right? I already know what, I've established them. But I am often pulled in another direction, right? To, to move in another direction, to go against what is my convictions. There are things in your life that will pull you away from what you believe, your weaknesses, my weaknesses, your fears, your doubts, and you need people. Now listen, not to believe for you, right? No one can believe for you. Patsy can't turn to her husband and say, Bob, would you believe for me that Jesus loves me? No, no one can believe for you, but you need people who can believe with you about the promises of God that you're struggling with. We hold on unswervingly, right? Let us hold on unswervingly, it's a challenge, to the hope that we profess for he who is faithful, or he who promised is faithful, talking about God. When it, com- when it comes to the regarding of the promises of God, I need people to say, listen, God, is faith- God has promises for your life. God has promises for your marriage. God has promises for your kids that are worth banking on and we want to help you hold on. 
right? That's what he's talking about. I heard a story. I'm going to share it briefly with you. I got to see this, um, uh, this, these principles, right? That where, where we, we, we defeat sin together, we hold on to hope together. In a community, a small group that I've seen secondhand over the last couple of years because some of members of my family are in it. In these group, in this case, women got together. And part of the reason they got together, yes, to encourage themselves spiritually, but one of them started to listen. There are members in my family that... Um, um, I do not know Christ as their savior, in this case, her kids, and I'm losing hope, and I need some encouragement. And that was the purpose this group got together. And I secondhand, as I say, I'm not in the group, got to watch God do some amazing things to live out these principles, the one I'm really challenging you and challenging me to embrace today, to spend time with others, to have other people in your life, right, that help you reach your potential by helping you defeat sin together and helping you hold on to some of the promises for your life, for my life, right? They're no more for me than they're for you, but you need to hold on to them unswervingly. And be reminded at times when you think that all hope is lost, when God has forgotten you, that he that is promised is faithful. The basis of the promises of God is not about you, it's not about me, it's about him and what he has done and what he has promised. And he's saying, listen, you need to hold on. Let us hold on unswervingly to the hope that we profess. The, the woman who shared this story, a longtime friend and member of this church, her name is Barb Utz, some of you know her, I'm going to just, with her um, permission, read her words. We hold on to hope together. Seven or eight years ago, Mary, who is my cousin's wife, as well as a friend, came to me asking about a small group Bible study. She knew I was a Christian and desired to take her own faith to a deeper level. I was excited to study the word with her, and we began a weekly study by Rick Warren, just the two of us. We prayed about asking others to join. Within a few months... God heard our prayer, and we each had separate conversations with two other women who wanted to join us. I know it was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. The four of us met weekly, studying God's word and praying consistently for one another. We even refer to our group as the prayer warriors, texting often for prayer support. At the start, Mary shared her hope that her adult children would come to faith in Christ. The group faithfully prayed, and Mary remained hopeful. Within a year, Mary's daughter moved back home to Rochester, for a work transfer and started attending church with her. Prayer continued. Hope remained. Mary's daughter began a personal relationship with Jesus within that year. What a celebration. Glory to God. Prayer continued for her daughter's fiancé, who did not have a church background. Prayer and hope. Eventually, he attended a service in the tent at Browncroft, the NFL guy on Father's Day, and through more prayer and hope, began his personal faith journey in Christ. Last year, Pete Angler married them in a very God-honoring service. We continue to see God work and remain hopeful that Mary's other children will turn their hearts to Jesus as well. The coolest thing of all is that the Bible study group of four women has turned into a weekly study of 13 multi-generational women, and Mary's daughter is a part of it. Isn't that a great story? Let me say something about it. It's a great story, it's years in the making, and there's more than one promise there. But there are people, okay, 
in community, helping each other hold on to the promises of God all over this church. And if you are not in a community like that, could be three guys. I met with three, four guys just the other week. We had our uh, meeting Tuesday morning. I also have a small group. There's more than one way to do this. But if you are not in a group like this, today is your opportunity, right? It's a challenge to spend time with other people, not to check it off a list, not because it's a nice thing to do, because it's central to your ability and my ability to reach your full potential in Jesus Christ, right? I mean, speak the truth in love one to another. Bear one another's burdens. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. I need people, right? I need people where I can look up and look into their eyes, okay, and see the theoretical abstract propositional truth of Jesus Christ's word and make it real and detonate in my heart, okay? That's where some of us are struggling this morning, and that is the challenge. Romans 10, 12, excuse me, 10 through 13. Great illustration, really, of this group and maybe your group or my group. Be devoted, okay, to one another, is one of these other passages, in love. Now watch this. Honor one another above yourselves. I can't do that by myself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. What am I saying to you? What am I hearing from you? Be joyful in hope, patience in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Right? This isn't a verse on evangelism. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. I don't think he's talking about uh, you know, a handout here. Nothing wrong with that. He's talking about people who have spiritual needs, who need spiritual challenge, who need encouragement to stay unswervingly on the path of the promises of God for their life. Do you have people like that? Number one, are you a person for others like that? Right? We defeat sin together. We hold on to hope together. Last, we change the world together, right? And let us, the last of the three admonitions, consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This word, some of you may have heard it, in, in, or if you ever heard a sermon on this passage, people pick on this word um, for good reason. That is the word spur. It's a very odd word. It may be used uh, only a few times. And it's, it's one of these words that's generally a negative word. It means what you think, right? You know, it's a spur. It literally means a, 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 a dictionary definition of that word means to irritate or to, um, you know, to strongly provoke. And mostly it's used in a negative connotation. I'm irritating you. I'm provoking you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make you angry. All right, I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to maybe get in a fight with you, right? But the writer is using a what is generally a negative word to, in a positive way, right? This happened happen, to make a point, right? Ephesians two ten. Listen to these words. For we are God's handiwork. This is a purpose statement, you could say, for the human race, maybe, or for at least Christians. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you believe that verse, it says this. Every single person who's ever been 
you know, come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. God knows you personally. We don't understand how because God is so intelligent, right? It's hard for us to grasp. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows everything there is to know about you. He created you uniquely, and he has, he has prepared in advance good works for you to do, right, in your life. That's true for every single person. What, what I think this passage is saying is, listen, most of us, I think it's true for, for me, your pastor, you know. I know that's true, but every single day, my life is, is largely focused on my own needs and wants. And even though God is calling me there, and there's where the joy is, I'm always swerving in this direction. And I guess to, you know, people have said to me, even over the last couple months, um, uh, I, they, I've had people come around the Christmas time and, they, and people that I didn't know, they said, you know, Pastor, um, those homeless stories, if you've been in, in church, and I've told a few stories of people that I've met, they go, boy, that, I love when you tell those stories, and, and they're so interesting, and, and, you can, and, and, and I can see it really, it's passion. And you know, I, it's so encouraging to hear that, some guys that I've met uh, and, and ministered to who are homeless not far from where I live. And, and I think they said that to me, not to pat me on the back, I think what they were saying was, uh, Rob, when you told those stories, I saw a certain passion in your, in your heart. I saw a certain um, you know, light in your eyes that not only really impressed me, but it also spoke to me. Right? It, was, it was an inspiring story. And I want to tell you this. Those are true stories. And if, if what they were saying was there was a joy in your life that happened when you told those stories that's reflective of some, I would also say that's true. Okay, But... I would also say this, although those are true stories, and it was a great joy. And when I look back on some of those instances, I would say, look back for that week or that month and go, the most meaningful thing, the greatest joy I had was not in A, B, C, D, or E. It was in this experience. But serving others, be on, you know, consider how you may spur one another into love and good deeds. Let's call that a good deed of a kind. Even though that is a place of joy, a greater joy than other things that give me in my life, I don't do it nearly. I don't mean homeless people. I mean doing good deeds to the people around me. I don't do it nearly as much as I should. Right? Even though it is the place of great joy in my life. Those people were right. Well, listen, why is that? Because it is my nature and it is your nature, even if you're a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit into you, to be, to be pulled by things in your life right, in a different direction, to swerve in a different direction that is self-centered, self-absorbed, self-protection. It's the way that we're made. And you could be the most wisest person in the room. You might know the Bible better than others. But if you don't have other people in your life that can sit, encourage you and challenge you, number one, you need to defeat sin together. Your thinking's not right, friend. You got stinky thinking about God. He's forgiven you. He loves you. He cares for you. He is for you. And I want to help you get there. Or listen, that promise that you're giving up on, I know it's been three years and seven years and 12 years, but you need to hold on because he that, is, he that has promised, he's faithful. And maybe your dad isn't faithful. Maybe your husband wasn't faithful. Maybe this wasn't faithful. Maybe your boss let you go, but God will never let you go. He, his promises are good to the core, and I want to help you hold on, okay? And the same goes for our purpose, Right? We were prepared for good work. Some of us, don't raise your hand. 
Some have been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years. We still don't even know the good works that God has prepared for us to do. We don't even know what they are. Because so much of our time is spent meeting our own needs, being over-focused on, our own, on ourselves, and maybe we have a sense of it, but we've so taken ourselves out of the game, we've so said someone else can do it, and we need someone who can, we want to be able to look up from that circle and see people to say, you can do this. You have the gifts to do this. What are you waiting for? How can we help you hold on to the promises of God? We need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, right? You'll never accomplish what it is that God's called you to accomplish. Even if it's raising your kids or seeing your kids come to faith like that story I shared, that's a huge calling. Oh my goodness, could there be a better, bigger calling than raising your children? Look at this woman with her four kids right here. Could there be a bigger calling for some of you at that season in life? Let me tell you something. You can't do that on your own successfully, right? You need to have other people who can help you hold on to those promises and spur you on to love and good deeds. So let me set up next week, okay? Challenge number one, spend more time with God. If you didn't listen to last week's sermon, do it, okay? Uh, not because I gave it, but because of the principles. I got up this morning, I read Matthew chapter 19, I soaped it. What does that mean? Listen to the sermon, you'll find out, okay? Uh, I found something that was true for me and I asked God to apply it to my life. Rob, are you in a small group? I'm in one. My small group met a week ago Wednesday. My men's group, I see some guys out here. We met for breakfast this past Tuesday. I got some guys that I went through the challenge group with. I believe in it to the core. Today's your opportunity to get involved. Go to the gym, right? Football doesn't start till three. You got plenty of time, okay? Uh, next week, it's about knowing and using your gifts, okay? Knowing and using your gifts. Back to this point. I would say this to you. If someone said to me, Pastor, who are the 100 or 10, whatever the number is, most spiritually you know, on fire or spiritually satisfied people in your church? Now, I don't know the answer to that. But if I were to create a list, I'll tell you where I would go. It's the people in this congregation who have a ministry of a kind, right? They're, it's a ministry, it's not the people that know the Bible the best, and I'm all about that, you know that, but it's going to be the people who have a ministry of a kind, could be with students, could be with kids, could be in the inner city, whatever the case, or the city, whatever it is, but they have a ministry of a kind, and they're doing it, right? Those are the people who I would say, who, where, the, where the truths of God have detonated in their heart and activated in their life, and they have a ministry, right? That's what next week is about, we're going to have opportunities. Some of you, you just need to re-up what you're doing. Some of you need to take a step up from what you're doing. Some of you need to get in the game, period, okay? You're not in the game at all or in the, in the ministry. We want to help you do that. So there's going to be a series of opportunities all laid out for you next Sunday at the end of the sermon. But there will be one. Let me prepare you for one. This is sort of an easy step for all of us, right? For many of you who've not done anything before. You know, I met a guy in church maybe... I don't know, less than six months ago. And he came to us and said, listen, I just became the vice principal of one of these uh, challenging city schools, school number 10. And he said, uh, you know, 
We'd love to, we know you partner with some other schools. He'd heard about that here. We do with a couple city schools. How'd you like to partner with us? So we said, hey, we're open. Had some meetings, and uh, one thing led to another, and, and we started with, you know, meeting needs with a handful of kids, and, and he said, well, could you do it for everybody? I said, well, how many kids you got in school? 320. I said, well, let me think about it, you know. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. Yeah, this is just a small first step. But next Sunday, in addition to the other opportunities about serving on this campus, and I hope you're going to think about it, pray about it. If you're in the, in the, in the small group cha- or the four-week challenge, you'll get some uh, texts this week, and you can actually text right now and join us. If you're not one of those six or 700, get in the game. We're only in the middle of the second week here. But there will be opportunities uh, to, to get involved. But next week, in our lobby... Uh, some team is putting together. There's going to be 320 backpacks, one for every kid at that school. And inside there is going to be a list of things you can do. You can personalize it in a way, follow the directions, and then uh, we're, going to, we're going to deliver those to those students just as a first small step of demonstrating a kind of love and commitment uh, to um, people in this community and see what God does with it. Amen? So get ready. Uh, to be a part of that next Sunday. Stand with me, if you will. And let's pray. And I'm holding this big scan code on the back. I hope you, many of you are going to make your way down to um, the gym. Scan this code even while you're on your way. Spend, those of you who are not in a group, spend 15 minutes. Not a lot of time uh, before you head out. Let's pray. God and Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I thank you, everyone in this room, Lord. And I'm grateful to be, as, as the writer of this passage said, brothers and sisters, let us. I'm grateful that I have brothers and sisters, in a manner of speaking, that is, um, fellow um, Christians who are on the journey, on the path, um, that collectively we can we can sing the praises of God. We can, we can affirm the truths of God. But individually, I'm grateful for men and women in this community who can look me in the eye uh, uh, and say, God uh, loves you. God is for you. And um, you can do better. You can do more. I'm grateful for those people who help me become all that you want me to be. And I pray that we would each become that person for others uh, in the days to come. And Lord, for those who may be in this room, as Pete even mentioned earlier, you know, who may be intimidated by a community, Lord, who may think that what um, accountable community means is judgment instead of grace and encouragement, I pray you'd inspire them, encourage them, nudge them, this morning, that they might take this challenge seriously as a way to move closer to your great work in their lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.